I would like to ask you all to sit and ask our distinguished guest to begin his presentation. You think I'm out of my mind? Explorer, a novelist, and an adventurer, a traveler, an explorist, and accomplished errorist. You shouldn't excite yourself. Another day to start all over again. And welcome to another episode of the Errorist Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Crane, and this week, my guest, well, he needs no introduction if you're a horror fan, with a body count that will soon surpass Ronald McDonald, and dare I say, even Pennywise himself, and uh, a guy whose face is probably already tattooed on your bestie's leg. It's my honor to welcome Art the Clown himself, David Howard Thornton. Dude, thank you so much for uh, for joining me today. Uh, thanks, man. It's great to be here finally. I know it took a little it took a little doing, and I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy press schedule to to fit me in. That's ah, no problem. Glad to do it for a friend. <laughs> ah, dude, you're awesome. Yeah, I, it was great uh, meeting you. What was it, Indianapolis, uh, in the before times, right? Pre-COVID. Yeah, like, yeah, it was before the world went crazy. Right, 2019. <laughs> um, I I remember talking to you. I think it was the night before in uh, in the hotel bar, and it was uh, mm-hmm. it's a great great connection. I think I I couldn't help but make a few trips over just to just to be mesmerized by the size of your line at the, at the convention. <laughs> it's insane. It's uh, ins- especially since I was right across from like Kane Hodder and right next to Bill Mosley. So oh, that sure. was, that was insane. These guys are legends. And, and I think it's safe yeah. to say you have joined their ranks, my man. You are up there it's in the Pantheon. With, crazy. With Pennywise. Crazy. Michael Myers, Jason, Freddie, all of those guys. How are you adjusting oh, to God. having a massive fandom? I mean, I'm still adjusting, I guess, because I, I'm such a homebody and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I, I, I sometimes get overwhelmed because I try my best to like answer all the fan mail I get or fan emails, I guess you could say now. Sure. But um, so it, it can be crazy at times. I'm like, guess I'm very grateful. <laughs> I mean, you you have uh, a tremendous humility. It shows. I don't know. As cool. as people that that are asked to kind of be in the public eye and 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 get to meet our fans. That's uh that's probably the best attribute you can possibly have because without them, you know, you're nothing. If I was otherwise, my mom would come back from the grave and bitch slap me anyway, so. Well. <laughs> that could be a subject for uh another another terrifier movie. Oh uh, yeah. A, a, an art the clown oh. origin story, uh the likes of which we've never <laughs> seen before. And and the amount, the sheer amount of tattoos. Cannot believe how many people have tattooed you on parts of their bodies. It's nuts. Someone wants that on their body? <laughs> no, but now it's it's almost like a modern day litmus test. You must be a liar if you if you don't know somebody that that's in this horror scene that doesn't have a terrifier tattoo, right? It's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's it's uh, what I love seeing is like you know now other uh, castmates are getting tattooed as well. Even uh, Wes that plays the the serial kid and. Terrifier 2 just got a tattoo of him. I'm I like, saw That's that. Insane. Uh, I know. That is you, insane. You want to tell that kid congratulations, but what what is it? Oh, he's what stoked. is it? What is it we're saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, he he's playing the one of the leads in Stream coming out. So he oh, nice. he's he's doing pretty well. Yeah, he's right now on Broadway in Leopold. Oh wow. The kid's got a better career than I do. No, so he's an <laughs> underachiever already. How old is he? Ten years old? Oh yeah. 
Okay, so slacking. Just oh, good yeah, no, God. No, you just, just need to stop it. playing the video games all the time. Go outside and do something. No, I, I had <laughs> I had Broadway ambitions, but you know the closest I've ever come to Broadway was JFK. I, I, I still <laughs> I still haven't even left the airport. I I promise you, theater is a is a first love for me. I imagine yeah. it is for you too. For most actors, that really is the their main love because that's where most of us got our start. You know, right. I, I got my start doing community theater, right. actually church theater, then community theaters. I still see that that's part of my DNA. Just when I do like the Q and A sessions, or um, the, even just the the photo ops at conventions, when things lull a little bit or something goes wrong, I feel the need to just entertain the people that are standing right. there in line. Right. Well, that's what makes you a good guest. You know. And staying sharp yeah. makes you a good actor. Oh yeah, you gotta always stay sharp. There's, you know, that's that's the thing. It's easy to get complacent, and especially this past few years, you know, with COVID and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, when you're not doing anything for a while, it's like, oh my god, I got to do something, or I'm just gonna rot away here. Oh no, there is there is such a thing as 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 performance atrophy, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, because I feel like I've I've experienced that, but it's not just because of COVID. It's kind of, I haven't really done this kind of work. A day of shooting in Toronto like three or four years ago, I, I haven't really mm-hmm. pursued this this business anymore. There are times when I'm put on the spot and suddenly I feel like an imposter. You know <laughs> what? Oh yeah. You know it's terrible. Oh, it's it's I mean, so weird. I mean, I was a, a, a singer too, and mm-hmm. I, I went years without singing. And you know, sometimes I'm in the car if there's traffic. Or I'm, I just feel like I have to exercise some creativity. I start trying to sing like I did 10 years ago. And, yeah. you know, I'm shocked that all of a sudden I can't. Hello, you have to stay sharp. So, Oh, it's, it's crazy. I, I've just discovered that just with um, my piano playing because uh, my roommate has stuff blocking my clavinova. It's been that way for a few years. So I haven't really been playing piano like I used to. I used to play piano all the time. And I... Recently, I, I was over at a friend's house, and they had a really cool clavinova, and I went on to it. And I'm like, I can't remember a single song. <laughs> Just get a new room. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, so let's go back. You say you got your start doing some community theater, some uh, church theater. Um, mm-hmm. This is down in Huntsville? Down in Huntsville, Alabama, right. yeah. Did you have a driving force behind you, someone pushing you in that direction? Oh, yeah, that was my mom and my dad, especially nice. my mom. She she was one of those, you know, not your typical stage mom. She was very supportive, but she wasn't that clingy helicopter, my child's the best ever in the world type. Right, Thank God. that was mine too. Yeah. I'm lucky to have had both parents very supportive of everything I did. They were always interactive with what I was doing. If I was playing sports, my dad was coaching or something nice. like that. And when I was doing theater, like my dad was... If not in the show with me, he was building sets. My mom was the house manager and you know helping with the costumes or something. Well, I imagine some of that. I mean, if you're if you're going to get in that deep, I imagine some of that was for them too. You know, they're yeah, doing it because yeah. they had a, a love for it. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. It was it was a it was a full family thing doing theater. It's like that was something that spoke to all of us because that's how I got started. Because my mom used to direct a lot of the church theater. My dad used to be in the productions there. So nice. you know, it's like when I started doing, they're like, oh cool this is something we all can do together like the von traps right sound of music yeah exactly family affair do you guys ever sing <laughs> you know ever sing sound of music when it's time to go to bed oh not, not really that per se but you know we we definitely were fans of the original it's like i i even student directed a production of sound of Mu- mucus as i used to call it sound of mucus that's I'll, I'll never look at that title the same way again 
Oh no, no. oh no, you, you you really can't. It's just like for a while when when you're rehearsing that thing for two months straight, you you kind of get tired of the saccharineness of the that show. You're it is like, pretty oh, saccharine, sweet. Like you need to go to a dentist after that. Diabetes intensifies for sure, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So community theater, I mean, what, uh, what was the extent of your involvement in uh, community theater? I did a lot of children's theater more than anything else. Okay. Children's theater, musical theater. Okay. And that's, I, I think that's really where I perfected my comedy chops too, because kids love physical comedy and I love physical comedy. So I was always just doing that kind of stuff and all the children's shows and it was just a great way to, you know, hone that craft. So is there a, a particular, a particular genre of musical theater that appeals to you the most? I, I like the old days, you know, the Rodgers and Hammerstein, Bernstein, mm-hmm. Sondheim era. That's just like, I, I don't know what it is. Like the music was just so good. The stories were really good. It was, yeah. it's like, it's, it's weird. Like a lot of the modern Broadway stuff, I, it all just sounds too poppy to me now. And I'm sure. like, God, it doesn't have that same orchestral feel to it. And like just epic feel that the right. old school musicals used to have. I mean, there's something like Miss Saigon. If you, if you think, yeah. about it, I think it was like the last one that, that I can remember oh anyway. God, yeah. You know, here we are. Oh. We're talking about musical theater and you know, this is a, is sort of a, <laughs> this season's definitely geared towards horror. So here we are. Maybe we're broadening some minds. Maybe we're, yeah. we're, we're expanding on a theme. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's I, not always all horror. No, have some, of course not. A little not. bit of song and dance in there. Would you consider yourself a triple threat? I would say a, a two and a half threat. A yeah, a it's half. like I, I can dance, but I'm not like professionally trained in dancing. I, I okay. you know, I'm not. You're not tap dancing in your kitchen while you're pouring yourself oh, a God, bowl of cereal. No. I, I, I kind of wish I had learned how to tap oh, dance because that's kind of cool. But like oh. ballet, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> I tried that one time in high school in a dance class, and I, I fell flat on my face. I'm like, "Yep, I'm just not skilled." Yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. I I tried yeah. to do that. Um, there, it became apparent to me that if you know you're going to go equity, you're going to need to be able to do everything, and yeah. um, especially yeah. when you're doing it in L.A. Right? I didn't have the balls oh, God, yeah. to go to New York City. You know, sometimes that's a, a source of regret because I know. Um, oh yeah, you know that. That even someone like me, who isn't even really a mover, could find you know a fair share of those Park and Bark shows, the the Jekyll and Hyde's, yeah. the Les Mises. Oh know. yeah, oh definitely. I mean, see, uh, that's the thing. It's like you and I are both more the character roles, anyways. Sure. And usually the character roles don't do the dancing. Well, so I'm yeah. like, ah, that's fine. Yeah, go ahead, put me in the like uh, the the sidekick, the goofy sidekick, or the villain. I'm good. I'm good. There are <laughs> always more interesting parts to play, anyway. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. That's like, yeah. but you know, there's, I, I I can't fault all those that can actually do that amazing dance work out there. I, mean, I, I see them do this stuff on, in some oh, of these yeah. shows. Like when I saw Newsies, I was like, good God. Oh, yeah, I no. It's that. like there's a switch backstage where they turn gravity off. Yeah. Because there's just no way. Either that or they have bird bones. And I'm not, it's, it's oh, got to yes. be one of the two. I'm not <laughs> built that way. I'm, I'm built like a truck. If, if I fall, if I fall down, even when I was at my skinniest, if I fell down, you would, you would hear it. Like you would notice it. <laughs> It's totally funny. I was I was doing this uh, this musical. It was the 1940s radio hour. It takes place in the 1940s. So you know we oh, we had a couple had a couple like dance break. My character is a tryhard, super tryhard, and so mm-hmm. you know I kind of took it to that level, and I kept trying to like be a tryhard myself. And there's this dance move where we're swing dancing, you know, and I'm I'm doing my best mm-hmm. to keep up, and I'm supposed to to toss my partner through my legs. Oh yeah, I forgot to let go. 
Oh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. So if you can imagine, you know, I'm, I'm standing straight <laughs> up and I'm throwing her through my legs. I let go. This pendulum swings. Um, I went face first in a perfect, I mean, my body was perfectly straight. And I went face first right into the, right into the set. And, um, oh, God. oh yeah, no. And the thud was, was tremendous. Unforgettable. <laughs> the, the sound of the wood cracking under the platforms. And, and um, oh, God. that was the moment that I realized that I'm not a triple threat. I mean, film. I mean, film and TV and, and acting. At least, at least, getting the roles is, can be a blood sport of sorts. You know. Oh God, yeah. You need your psychological taekwondo to deal with the people in the waiting room. Our career path, my God, we face more rejection than anybody else. I would think. Oh, absolutely. It prepped me for uh, for dating really well. Yes. You know what I mean? I couldn't. I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I, it, it was easy to to not take things too personally. You know. There's always another audition. There's always another date. What are some of your favorite roles? What what are, what are some of the things that helped shape you as an actor? Oh, God. I mean, there were so many musical theater stuff I, I used to love doing. I was like, I miss that kind of stuff. Of course, the uh, I, I toured for five years with How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the musicals. That was probably definitely one of the biggest ones for me, where I um, had the privilege of understudying Stefan Carl, who was uh, Robbie oh. Rott from Lazy Town. Oh, yeah. He was our Grinch. Yeah, so... And he he was a great mentor to have as an actor, especially because he was you know, he he was a master at physical comedy. Right. He was he was actually trained in that area. That this was his area of expertise, and so I was able to study directly under the guy for free. That's amazing, and it was wonderful. And it was, and that's I mean, so much of that I put into my performance of art because you know it's like well you know. When I first got cast as art, I, I was like, okay, God, I got to play the silent character. And right. Stefan and I both have that love for that kind of, you know, style of acting of the silent comedies. And, you know, we're, we both, you know, kind of bonded over our love of Mr. Bean back oh. in the day. And so Good I old know, Rowan like, Atkinson. Anybody, oh, God, yes. And if and I was like, if anybody can really help, you know, guide me where to go with art, it would be Stefan. So, you know, as soon as I got cast, I let him know what was going on and he, he gave me a lot of good tips and everything like that. Oh, and that's awesome. That's, that's what I would do is like, I would be on set and I'm like, okay, how would, what would Stefan do in this moment? How well, would he, you know, traverse this scene here? And that's what I would just do going forward. But I can see some similarities too, because if I remember correctly, you know, his, his make, he had makeup, he was wearing prosthesis too, right on his face. Oh yeah. So, um, oh yeah. God! That, the, the Grinch suit is oh, also Robbie Rotten. Both of those costumes are very hot suits right. to wear. A lot of makeup and everything like yeah. that. And it's like, especially Grinch. You know, he's having to wear that full fur costume on stage right. under those hot lights. Right. It's like, oh my God, he, he'd be a sweaty mess by the end of the show. They had like bottles of water waiting <laughs> for him every time he walked off stage. Oh man, you'd have to. You'd have to. Yeah. And you'd have to do something with all the sweat that's left over the floor. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I sweat on relatively cool days, so even walking on stage for a moment, I start to break a sweat. It's just I'm just standing there. Oh, I can only it. imagine what it's like to have a role like that and and, and crush it. You worked with Bob Lauder Jr. as well. I um I I loved that guy. I worked with him a couple times in L.A. and he, wow, he was definitely a vocal uh, hero of mine. And I know. He's, oh my God! He's what still, an amazing he, voice he has. I know. I remember when we did. Uh, I was a production of Jekyll and Hyde. I just remember the the mm-hmm. the L.A. Times uh, review 
um, I think called them rich Victorian tones. And I'm not sure oh, God, he ever yeah. lived that down, but I think it was absolutely correct. I mean, there are a few people I've heard, a few baritones that could sing like that dude. That's for sure. Oh, my God. It's like the, the first time I heard him sing You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, I think the whole entire cast just like, holy shit. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. You've, if anyone listening, you've got to just, just look at this dude. Find him on YouTube. There has to be something. Bob Lauder yeah. Jr. Um, I don't think he's a junior anymore. Um, but, yeah, he's just something else. I'll never forget oh, that yeah. experience. working. Professional Santa Claus, too. Well, oh, that's right. That's right. Professional Santa Claus. He would even bring the Santa Claus, his Santa Claus costume with him on the road with us. Because, like, you know, he when we celebrated Christmas as the cast, he would dress up like Santa and we would all, like, sit in his lap and all that kind of stuff. It was fun. That's amazing. He would get so many free drinks on the plane, too, because he would wear his Santa hat. Oh. And it would just, like... Because he looked just like Santa. It was just like, my God. Oh, yeah. He, he would no. just totally live it up. I can totally, totally live it up. I can totally see that. So were you <laughs> casting this out of New York? Yes, yes. I was still living here. Okay. So what was the transition from Huntsville, Alabama to <laughs> to New York City? What was that like for you? It, it was an interesting transition. It took me a few months to get used to it. I, I had to stop talking to everybody I encountered on the street in the subway. Oh, yeah, because people are like, I, I just wave at people because that's what we do back home. You just right. wave at people. Like, even if you don't know them, you're like, hey, how are you doing? People sure are Have friendly. Oh, yeah. People are like, you're not from here. I'm like, nope. <laughs> how so, could you tell? <laughs> let, let me ask you this. How shitty was your first apartment? Oh, God. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> horrible. It's like the, the front door was, uh, it was painted over. It was one of those old doors from like the seventies okay. that you wouldn't have as a front door because it had that cheap plastic oh, nice. shell weird like thing on it texture nice. where you could just easily just, you know, walk right through it if you wanted to. Nice. Yeah. Nice, it's like, nice, yeah, nice. that, that place is horrible. We had like very little heat in there too, which sucked in, you know, my first New York winter. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so cold. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then, old Chinese guy that was the landlord barely spoke any English so oh. you're trying to like we need heat it's like I don't understand you basically every apartment I have lived at in this city has been some kind of experience it's like especially I, I lived in this one place with it was a house and there's an old Greek couple that rent off up um the rented the top floor of the house off and they they didn't understand there's a difference between being family members and being tenants because they're always they thought we were like their family so anytime they needed something they always David David we need you to do this for us David 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 I'm like I'm I'm just paying you rent guys I I'm, I don't I don't want to be bothered on my day off work did they just did they just walk in like you're on a sitcom. Like, like oh, three's, not, three's company that just come on in? Was there applause? Almost, almost. I think because they just don't want to walk up the stairs. So I forgot to ask you, what's the, the catalyst that got you from Alabama to New York? I mean, what 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 clicked? What made you decide was, to, to go for it? Yeah, I mean, at the, it was basically my mom's passing from cancer because uh, that happened when I was in college and I was mm-hmm. studying at the time to be a teacher, an uh, elementary school teacher. Oh, wow. And it was about a year later, and I was going back to do my internship. And, and so this year after my mom died, so in this course of a month, my, my dog died, my grandmother died, 
My Jesus. sister married a homeless man and a friend of mine committed suicide. And so I was like in a huge downward spiral. Oh my God. I was just like, I, I was just so depressed and angry. And I, I was doing my, my little voices one day for story time in my, for my class. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized I was getting so much more fulfillment out of entertaining my students than teaching them. Wow. And I was like, and I was like, this is what makes me happy. This is what I need to do. I don't need to be teaching. I need to do something that makes me happy and acting is what makes me happy. And so, you know, I talked to my dad and he's like, yeah, your mom and I always thought you needed to be an actor, but we didn't want to tell you what to do with your life. So, you know, why don't you just finish up your studies, take a year off, get your head back in the game, you know, wow. finish up your studies and feel free to move. So you packed York your, packed your shit and left. So how long were you in New York and doing your thing there before you got the notice for terrifier 13 years 13 years 13 years waiting tables and doing side acting jobs voiceover work and the grinch so it was like 13 long years i uh i just remember uh, i was talking to damien last week and um you know i wanted to know how you came about you know how 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 you ended up landing the role what that what that Mm -hmm. whole thing was like and and this is what he had to say and as soon as Dave walked in the room and he had this big smile, Dave, I said, wow, right there. Like, that's my guy. He walks in, he goes, well, you know, what do I do? And I said, you know, you're a silent clown, you're a killer clown. And uh, I want you to act as if you're decapitating somebody and you're being very <laughs> gleeful about it. Having okay. And that was it. And, uh, and he just immediately flipped the switch. You could see his performance on, nice. I think I have it on my Instagram, but it's out there. Oh, I'll and look for just, that. Why did I, how yeah, did I miss oh, that? Wonderful. And he went into this whole sort of Looney Tunes from hell animated clown shtick and he's cutting the head off and he's stabbing the guy and oh, wow. he's really loving taking the guy's head off. And then he licks the blood oh. and then he looks around like, Hmm, like this is missing, missing something. And then he takes out a salt shaker and pours it onto the head and then tastes it again. He's like, ah, that's wonderful. And then he skips out of the room. And the whole time I'm nudging my producer, Phil next to me. And then we're laughing. And, uh, I said, dude, that was fantastic, man. Like really great job. You know, we'll, we'll be in touch or whatever. Like how perfect is that? Yeah, that that never happens. That never happens. No. And that was like my first big, huge film role audition too. No, so that's like amazing. This, it was insane. I, I mean, they asked me right there in the room to like come back for a makeup test. That never happens on your first audition for a no. major film role. No, it does not. I remember Damien saying something about how uh, you know we asked, yeah, we asked him out to the apartment and all that, blah blah blah. And uh, I was just <laughs> like, what was you know? How did you feel about that? You know. Yeah, come on over to the apartment. Uh, I got a casting couch up here. No, I'm kidding. That's no, all good. Did you ever feel like uh, you I were, was pretty you were, stoked? You didn't, but it was a few months after I auditioned that they actually called me in for that makeup test. I was like, "Oh my god, was he just blowing smoke up my ass?" Or is like I, I haven't heard a thing for a while, and then oh, like no. about two or three months later, I finally went in, and I didn't even know I had the part yet. And so I, I had asked when we were doing the, the makeup test of like, so do I have the part? Does this mean that? It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you've had the part for a while. And your agent didn't tell you. I'm like, no. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> that, yeah. I'm not with that agent anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, we're withholding important information, you know. Whatever. Yeah. It's every actor's it's dream. dream come true. Absolutely. That kind of audition. When you were in New York, um, you know, before that audition, were you going after everything? I mean, were you trying out for other 
um, like horror films, were you into that genre at all? Or were you just kind of doing what everyone does uh, and they should do? And that's mm-hmm. like throw the spaghetti up on the ceiling and see what sticks. Well, that's basically what happened because I, at that time I had taken, I had just gotten back from my fifth tour with Grinch and I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm going to just take a few months off not waiting tables because that's, an, a, you know, I would just get distracted while just doing my nine to five job right. from auditioning. And I'm like, I just want to focus on auditioning for a few months. So I, I lived off the unemployment I made from Grinch so I could mm-hmm. just focus on auditioning. And I, I had been up for like four or five different Broadway tours and uh-huh. they all fell through. Okay. And I was, and I was getting a little bit disgruntled. I was like, my God, I'm so close. I'm like right. in final callbacks for all these things. Like one of them came down, like for Peter and Star Catcher, came down to a, a coin toss oh, no. between me and another actor. And Roger Reeves was directing it. And I was like, oh my God, what an amazing experience that would have been. Hmm. But it didn't happen. And, and I was like, then I came across that notice for Terrifier. And I, I had never really done any film work before. Okay. And I was like, God, this would be a great way. Because I knew the character from All Hallows Eve. So I was like, oh, my God, it's a great character. I'm like, this would be a great way to get my foot in the door in this industry. So you had seen All Hallows Eve. You had seen Art the Clown in its first iteration, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's an awesome character. He's like an evil Mr. Bean. I was like, and I, I remember sitting there, you know, watching that performance. I was like, God, there's so much more I could do with that than what you know what was done on screen. It's like there's there's that's there needs amazing. Needs to be a little something else to them. Welcome to Philosopher's Corner, brought to you by a generous donation from the Chubby Corporation, and thanks in part to just like you. So, David, this is Philosopher's Corner. Yeah. I have a couple questions for you. Just want to know how your brain works, and I'm sure our listeners do too. <laughs> these uh, these aren't necessarily hardballs, but I want to talk about the psychology of horror, if I may. So, sure. The first question is: What, in your estimation, um, psychologically attracts people to the horror genre in general? What brings people to the table? I I think it's the um, no matter what all is going bad in your life. It's not as bad as what's happening to those people on the screen. <laughs> okay. And so it's very cathartic in a way. And it's also the survivor's journey you're going on. Interesting. So you, you, you see these people survive. You feel like you've gone on the journey with them. And you're like, they're said like, ah, I survived. So you still get the escape. Type of feel at the end of it. I got you. You still, yes. you still get the escape, but you, would you say that you're, you're, your connection with them as they go through the journey is greater, the more harrowing the details. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yes, definitely so. Oh, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Um, yeah. Nicely, nicely played. All right. Yeah, thank you. I have a few of them. Here's a little deeper one. If you had to give up one of your deepest convictions in order to save the rest, which one would it be? Oh gosh. Right. Um, that bacon is God. Bacon is God. That is your deepest conviction. <laughs> one of them, yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, we'll go with that. So you would give that one up to save everything else you have. Yeah. I was like, bacon is the God of food because it goes great with everything. It really does. Uh, except yeah. cereal, I imagine. But I, I imagine. Yeah, you could find a way. You, you could, could find probably a way find a way. Cereal. I've seen, I've had maple bacon donuts before. Um, oh, they're so good. So I imagine there's a. There's no limit to that. 
I've had a bacon milkshake and it was delicious. I've had that too. Okay, I'm with you there. Yeah. There are some things we can we can put together to make that work. Well, that was yeah. uh, that was good. That was easy. That was uh, that was philosopher's corner. <laughs> Nicely played, sir. See, I thought maybe you weren't familiar with that character. You know, I thought maybe. Yeah. I mean, so when you when you saw the breakdown and you were doing that audition, you knew it was for Art the Clown then. Yes. Okay. Yes. And you were familiar with its potential. Oh man. Yeah. That exactly. is exactly. I saw. That, that is, I saw so much potential. I was like, oh, I just I want to put my stink on him. No, no disrespect to uh, to the other guy, to Mike oh, Mike was fantastic. I think he's I think he's great, and especially for a non actor. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. But the minute you put someone who's been around the block, has some training, has some grounding mm-hmm. into something like that, the the potential for growth is exponential. I mean, the physicality oh, that you bring to it is uh is is entertaining. It's not camp. That's what I told mm-hmm. Damien. I mean, it isn't camp. I mean, you have these moments that are just pretty damn funny, right? But yeah. it's but it isn't <laughs> it isn't campy. I mean, like this one time, yeah, I know you just kind of roll your eyes. Um, you know, just kind of this aside. <laughs> You're not breaking the fourth wall necessarily, but I, I I felt like you were just kind of teetering on the edge and I loved it. You know, I just I yeah. just I, I, I thought your performance was uh was was incredible. Thank you. Yeah, Thank so, you. I, I kind of look like Art is performing for an audience of one mm-hmm. the whole entire time. That audience is himself. That is the perfect way to yeah, summarize that. I, I, I totally agree with that. My, my daughter thought it was hilarious. In fact, she had a question <laughs> for you. She, she had a question for you. She wanted to know what face tastes like. Face tastes like head cheese. Head cheese. Great. I'll have to explain yeah. uh, that to her as well. This is good. <laughs> this is the part of growing up. Yeah, there you go. Hard. So were there any nerves once you got the thing and you were getting into production? Did you have any nerves? I mean, for lack of better terms, a used role, right? I mean, did you mm-hmm. feel like did you feel like any nerves or were you just so prepared and ready to do what you promised you'd do if you'd gotten the role and you just mm-hmm. you just slid right in? Oh, I, I definitely had a lot of nerves, especially with this being my first film role, because I knew everybody else that was cast, especially mm-hmm. Jenna and Catherine, were, you know, trained. I, I did a lot of on-the-job learning. Okay. Because <laughs> I, 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 it was like I was just thrown into the deep end and just had a swim. I had to learn all about, you know, getting my frame, all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, because, you know... It, it, it was tough. So I was nervous about that, especially, you know, having to do a lot of violent stuff that I had never done before. Right. I was always, you know, physical comedy. I had never done like a lot of fight scenes or you know, all that kind of stuff. So I had to right. learn that how to be more aggressive because I, I'm always so worried about hurting people. Right. But also I was definitely, you know, worried about taking on the role that someone else had played very well before me because I know how I am as a fanboy when someone else takes over a role from someone else. I know you get pissed. You get pissed, yeah, like, I, 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 especially, I'm especially like that with Joker. You know, anytime there's right. a new Joker, I'm like, oh god, right here we go again. And so I was like, oh god, no, that's going to come by, back and bite me in my ass. No, 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 no. I think it's. I think. I think there's still time for that. I, I think mm-hmm. there's still time for that. If those of you listening who aren't familiar with uh, David's work on Nightwing, um, hello, you, you epitomize a, um, a Joker to me. Thank I you. Mean, it's Thank not. You. Uh, it's, it's uh it's a great take. Thank it's you. Definitely it's, a great it's, take. He's my favorite. Getting back to Art the Clown, right? And its reception. Mm-hmm. Right? It's made you a star. I mean, overnight. 
But not, I mean, not really overnight. Like it was probably a slow burn leading up to release. But yeah. the, the aftermath of dropping that film and its reception, were you surprised by the reception? I was because, you know, we didn't have a big, huge publicized release for the film, mm-hmm. for the first film, especially. It was just like, it was, you know, released on like, I think Amazon Prime and Vudu, and that was about it. It wasn't even on Netflix at that point. It's okay. like okay, and, and our distribution company that we had for the first one didn't do a lot of publicity for okay. it. And so I was like, ah, who knows if anybody's going to see this thing? Gotcha. <laughs> I hope. And it was it was just the fans, the the, the horror fans out there that latched onto it, and like are now distributors bloody disgusting and other fan sites that mm-hmm. you know were right there at the beginning of it going oh my god this movie you horror fans have got to see this movie yeah and, and just snowballed from there and but we weren't expecting any of that that That's was like amazing. oh wow this is this must be something it's so and amazing then netflix picked it up and that's when it went kaboom right yeah. But how would you respond to someone who who would say Art the Clown is mean spirited or or misogynistic? What what would your what's your response? I would definitely say he's mean spirited. I mean, he is evil incarnate, so that just goes hand in hand with it. I would not say misogynist because he I see him as hating everybody equally, <laughs> an equal opportunity <laughs> uh, slasher. Yeah, gotcha. Exactly, exactly. It's just like because he actually kills more men than women in the right. first film. An audience empathizes with a female character more than they do a male character. They do. They want to see the female win. They do. You feel more for them than you do the male character. And I think that's why that trope exists. That's interesting. But I think very true. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about Gungate. Right? I'm coming up with all <laughs> these gates yeah. on my own. I, these, are, these are gates on my own. With Damien, it was Alien Gate uh, from All Hallows Eve. Um, <laughs> but we'll talk about Gungate. Um, you know, <clears throat> Damien was worried that he took a lot of flack from, you know, breaking conventions, uh, mm-hmm. as it were, because it's a slasher film and it was done without a knife. Um, <laughs> what was your reaction to that bit in the script? I loved it. I loved it because, you know, it's like art's really not the first slasher icon to use a gun. I mean, Chucky's used one. Sure. Ghostface has used one several times. Right. It's like it, you had Maniac used guns. It's, it's it's totally fine. It's just it's not normal. Right. Because most slashers have their, you know, specified weapon that they use all the time. And art uses whatever's available to him. So, yeah. He, he he cheats. He's not he doesn't play fair, so of course he would buck those kind of conventions. Right. I just of course he would have a gun. I just can't believe how gratuitous that was though. And it was I mean it was beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well that's the thing, he uses the gun as a slasher would. He doesn't he does. just one shot your dead type of thing. No. He disfigures her. It's with the, the gun. it's the mutilation, but I just couldn't believe he shot mm-hmm. her in the face. Man. Oh yeah. He's oh. an asshole. <laughs> he is an asshole. He shot her in the He's face. A true asshole. Multiple times. No, I know. And so I, I really, my first question I wanted to ask Damien was, dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you shot yeah, the face. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, there's, he, a, there's definitely. He has a thing about people's faces I've seen, I've noticed. He, he loves to mutilate people's yeah, faces. Yeah, I think he, he alluded to that. I think that's something that helps, you know, stand it apart. But I think it's also mm-hmm. incredibly impactful uh, because that's, you know, don't touch the face. So you're, you're a big deal now. And we've been waiting for, yeah. for Terrifier 2. It's on the horizon, October 6th. 
Yes. Tickets available for 700 screens. How does that make you feel? 800 now. 800. It's 800. It's amazing. Oh it my keeps God. going up. That's amazing. It's crazy. Oh, that's beautiful, though. That's beautiful. For an unrated, low-budget indie film, this is unprecedented. No. So we're, we're ecstatic. <laughs> well, I mean, as far as budgets go, I heard you're shooting with a little bit more. You're working with, yeah. you had more to work with this time. A like, little bit, but we're still not like, bucks, you know, a right? multi-million dollar film. No. It's like, not even a single, you know, not even no. a single million. No. <laughs> <laughs> but that's amazing. Like I yeah, told Damien, I, I just think that that epitomizes the insurgency. But I think it's, it's so good. true. That's good. So what can we expect from art? Dark Universe said that this movie is unapologetically unhinged with violence and gore <laughs> dialed up to 11. Yeah. As, a, as a Spinal Tap fiend. I, uh, oh, yes. Something dialed up to 11 means a lot to me. So on that scale, where does the hacksaw scene from the first film <laughs> rate? I mean, does that make that a 10 or is it like a five, which means you probably shouldn't eat for a couple hours before you come see the movie? I would say compared to one of the kills and maybe even two kills in part two, the, the hacksaw scene is maybe about a six or a seven. Okay. It, a six or yeah. a seven. Holy yeah, shit. Yes, we, we, we went to some dark places okay. <laughs> in part two. There's one kill especially. It's the scene. You'll know it when you get there. And okay. it's like, okay. oh, my God. Okay. That's uh, <laughs> I'm excited for that. And you know what's crazy? My kid is excited for that too, right? Nice, nice parody. Oh, but great. you know what? There's a story oh, to tell. Parody. And I think uh, I think the more that she's exposed to, the less of a shock it'll be when she gets older, and she oh, discovers yeah. it herself, right? Exactly, exactly. It's like you know, it's, I've discovered like young girls, especially like little girls, like mm-hmm. three and four year olds, are huge fans of art, and they have seen the movie and they love him. It's just so funny. Like it seems like the females can hold like tolerate the movie better than the guys can. I think I'm with you there. There's something to that. When I was at monster Palooza in the before times, mm-hmm. there was this cute little girl. She couldn't have been more than four years old. Uh, came walking up to the table and uh, her name was Alice and her mom totally into horror. But Pennywise was her favorite play yeah. friend. <laughs> right. Obviously. And nowadays it, it's just so normalized now that, I mean, it's, it's nothing to, to be freaked out about, but I just thought it was totally sweet yeah. because I'm thinking, really? I have adults that come up to me and say, you know, this ruined their life. The fact yeah. that this cute four year old kid is like, oh, this is my favorite movie. It's, uh, it boggles <laughs> the mind. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of mind blowing, but hey, you know, they like what they like. So you have a legion of fans of all ages. Well, yeah. David, I, um, I can't complain. I wanted I wanted to ask you what what's coming next. I mean, so Terrifier Two is coming out. It's a huge deal. I got the the movie stream that I've been doing with a lot of the Terrifier team coming okay. out hopefully next year. We got tons of horror legends in that movie from like Daniel Harris, Tony Todd, Jeffrey Combs, D. Wallace. Wow, it's a who's who Expendables version of a horror film. Oh wow, okay, so, yeah, it's so, pretty cool. Yeah, um, then um. Got another one that's about to be announced as a horror movie, uh, Christmas story type movie that's going to be coming out this year. You've got work lined up like crazy. I'm so yeah. excited Hopefully for you, dude. Hopefully it's just the beginning. Yeah, well, thank well, you, man. Well, don't get so big that you can't say hi to me at conventions. Oh, of course not, man. We're going to yeah. get beer and all that fun we're, stuff. We're still supposed to have that drink, you know. Yeah, uh, exactly. All right, cool. David, thank you so much, man. It was a great, uh, great talking to you. Terrifier 2. 
opens October the 6th in 800 screens now uh, in just the span of a week. That's, uh, that's pretty huge. Cinemarks, AMCs, Regals. You can get your tickets at Fandango.com. David, thanks again. This is the Eras Podcast with Brandon Crane.